heavy track today. Yeah, not vibing risky lettuce, getting sinker vibes. I don't know, says on the Tab app she's firming. Don't just vibe it, get expert tips in Tab's new race feed. Tab, we're on. What are you really gambling with? But right now, it's time to get the boss of Racing Victoria in the studio, Andrew Jones, because the analysis uh, has been completed. The numbers are in in regards to the new revamped spring carnival. Uh, Andrew, great to see you. Great to see you, Michael. Great to be here. Um, uh, the numbers all read very positively from a um, crowd point of view, a, an engagement point of view. Um Turnover we'll get to in a moment, but that's not just restricted to Victoria. But I think after the realignment, the reimagination of the Spring Carnival, what struck you the most from the analysis of the Carnival? I think there are three big positives coming out of the Carnival that we're really happy about. One is the growth in crowds, so about 12.5% up on 2022. Uh, partly that's weather, partly that's um, return from COVID, um, but partly it's also uh, scheduling and, and the great job clubs have done to invigorate the race day offering with more music and DJs and, um, you know, really uh, a variety of offers at each track. Uh, so attendance has been a big positive. Um, the quality of the racing has been a big positive. Um, on average, the uh, group one races have improved in rating and increased in field size. Um, so races like the Underwood had a full field for the first time in a long time and races like the Memsey have um, been amongst the top racing um, uh, races of the spring um, and uh, races like the Turnbull and Cox Plate um, will see their ratings improve even further with Romantic Warriors efforts mm. in Hong Kong on the weekend. So the quality of racing, including some brilliant internationals, was outstanding. And, of course, the uh, safety of the ra- racing, which is absolutely critical and, and really underwrites the social licence of the sport. And I think not just a safe Melbourne Cup carnival, but um, the acceptance and promotion of the protocols by the participants has been a big step forward for the sport over the last three years and, and particularly this year. And I think there's a real understanding that Victoria's protocols are world-leading and, and will become the global standard and allow us to put our ha- hand on heart and say, you know, the care for horses is really um, front and centre in, in, in what we do in racing. Uh, those races that you were talking about being so highly rated, the, the top three were the, the Cox Plate, the Memsey and the Champions Mile. You'd have been very happy with the Memsey uh, and its rating because um, the revamped Spring Carnival and, and some of the other races that were, were moved around as well. Um, how were the, the later races, the Thousand Guineas, the Rupert Clark, how did they compare to their old to, um, time slots? Look, we're really pleased. The, the Thousand Guineas we took off a Wednesday to a Saturday, um, and turnover on the race increased 41%. Turnover on the race day improved 20% year on year in a succession of Saturdays where turnover was down more more like 20%. So a, a big positive there. And it also, from a horse point of view, gives the three-year-old fillies a little bit more time to mature, which um, speaking to, I mean, he, he has a, an interest, obviously, because he owned the winner, but um, uh, Brendan Lindsay, who owns... Um, uh, Cambridge start in in, uh, in New Zealand. Speak to him him on the weekend. He felt was a real positive. Obviously, Chris Wallace supported the change, as did uh, mm. as did many others. So, we're, we're happy with that. How that race turned out, we think that'll become a real target um, for trainers. Um, next year and beyond and uh, the Rupert Clark had its highest rating addition um, 
uh, for some time, as did the Memsey, obviously, which is another 1,400-metre race, albeit weight for age, earlier in the spring. So separating those two races uh, might have helped both races, as it turned out, as well. Were you happy with the races around those? And obviously, um, probably the Oaks was one of the major ones where the traditional lead into the Oaks has been a 1,000 guineas. And from the, the stats and the analysis, it said that it didn't have any impact in, in some of the other surrounding spring carnival races? Yeah, well, we looked at the transition from Oaks to... Um uh, 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 sorry, from 1,000 guineas into Oaks, and the reality is very few horses, um, A, uh, ran in both races, and B, uh, were successful in both races. It was around about one per year, um, a transition between the two, and, and one every five years, I think, was successful. So um, separating those two races, we weren't too concerned about it, and what it had the effect of was uh, improving the quality of other Phillies lead-in races like the uh, Wakeful and the and the Desirable. Um, mm. So we thought that worked pretty well. So can we say that those changes that were made this year with the the um, review of the carnival will be, will be made permanent? Well, I c- certainly think they'll be... Um, continued next year um, and um, you know we're always looking at ways to um, optimise the schedule both from a racing and from a fan and wagering point mm. of view. Um, we think those changes have been uh, a success in year one um, so let's give them uh, more time to, um, to, to improve again. Will we look at possible further changes? I know um, as you do um, yourself Matt Welsh and the team continually review and there were a few races that got knocked around not necessarily by the change in in schedule in victoria but we've got the the shadow of sydney and the huge prize money up there i know imperatrice was was brilliant having her down here but if she wasn't in races like the manicado it, it would have been a very small thin field we had a couple of the races on cox plate day um, the Waterford Crystal Mile, other races that were really small. So what are, what's Racing Victoria thinking in regards to those types of races? Well, as you say, we go through a process every year um, which starts in the middle of spring and then we wait for the dust to settle after spring before evaluating um, the, the schedules as, as a job lot. And part of that process is asking clubs for their feedback on, on how we can improve. Um, so it may be that Mooney Valley has a view on mm. what to do with their sprint program and we're obviously um, open to, to suggestions there. Um, I, I think it would be fair to say that the, the Sportsbet um, sprint series in Sydney has had an effect. You know, a horse like Bella Nipotina was up there all spring chasing big bucks and winning them in the end. Um, so we have to be really realistic about that. There's no doubt that um, the King Charles had an impact on the might and power and the Turak yep. handicap. They're probably among the races where the fields and or ratings went down this year. So, you know, we have to be dynamic. Um, we have to adjust to um, uh, the competition in the market and we'll do that uh, working in conjunction with the clubs. I suppose the other um, question is the um, the movement of those races at the back end of the carnival and the elongation of the, the Metropolitan Spring Carnival. And I, I, I note there was a, another um, announcement, not by Racing Victoria, but clubs keen to, to grab that Cranbourne Cup space as well to push maybe that back even further. Is that something that you would like to see? Uh, like I said, we'll evaluate all the submissions from all the clubs. There are lots of competing interests. You know, Saturday real estate is scarce. There are only 52 Saturdays a year and obviously uh, only 12 or so um, in uh, in spring. Um, 
you know, September, October, November. So um, clubs all want a piece of the action, which is fantastic. Um, and so we have to work out what the best thing is to do from a fan point of view and therefore an industry revenue mm. point of view um, while also taking club interests into account. So that's a complicated process. Um, usually somebody's happy, somebody is unhappy um, and, um, you know, we'll go through that process um, over the next... Um, days and weeks. Weather hasn't been kind the last few Saturdays, but what have the the figures shown you in regards to um, Zipping Classic, Cranbourne Cup and Ballarat Cup who have been pushed further back into the, the Spring Carnival? Yeah, it's a few factors in play. I mean, there's no doubt wagering has been down on those meetings year on year, um, but it's been down... Um, you know, for some weeks. In fact, it's been down all all calendar years. So, whether they're down below trend, I don't think so. Especially when you adjust for things like heavy tracks and, mm. and smaller fields. Um, you know, the standout in the last six weeks of racing has been the Thousand Guineas Day. That's the the day that's really rocketed up. That's gone up twenty percent in uh, turnover. And the other meetings are down more like ten or twenty percent on a year on year basis. Um, and that's uh, predominantly market conditions. It's also um, uh, results for punters. You know, the the punters really took a beating through the Melbourne Cup um, week and um, so they've got less money to um, invest and, um, and we see that th- flow through in the wagering figures. So overall, the turnover downturn throughout the Spring Carnival, how big was it? About 12%. So um, that's pretty consistent with trends through the financial year, which have been down around 10%. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been saying that uh, since the start of the year that uh, wagering is undergoing a correction, not just in Victoria, but nationally and, as it turns out, internationally. Uh, I was talking to Winfred on the weekend and Hong Kong's down as well. Um, you know, that reflects um, global economic conditions. Interest rates are up, disposable income's down, um, and um, and uh, we're in a consumer entertainment mm. and a consumer discretionary expenditure industry. So when um, consumers, punters, fans have less to spend, they spend less. Does that mean that we're likely to see um, a more conservative approach to prize money moving forward or possible reductions again because the um, the funding isn't there through the wagering? Yeah, we'll see. Um, you know, we're balancing against a, a bunch of com- competing interests. You know, we had an industry strategy day last week, which was, uh, you know, a really productive session. But the reality is every stakeholder group wants more money. So clubs want more funding. Um, the trainers want more financial support for things like work cover. The jockeys want more pay for things like riding and jump outs. Uh, and the owners... Um, uh, you know, want the same or more prize money and and um, and lower costs of of ownership. So, um, it's a very uh, sensitive balance when everybody wants more money, um, but there's also less money to go around. And so, um, you know, we made the decision this year at Racing Victoria to make very very small cuts to prize money, probably one percent uh, in total, um, which we thought was responsible. Um, uh, both financially but also as a signal that, that, that times had changed somewhat. Um, but we also made a decision to cushion a lot of the downside through use of our balance sheet, um, i.e. using our savings to um, you know, fund um, the prize money. Um, now, we can do that for a while, but we can't do it forever. So um, uh, either revenue improves or uh, costs reduce and um, you know our costs are, are prize money club funding and uh, and putting on the races so um, 
whether that happens next year remains to be seen, but but certainly we need to make sure that the industry is running at sustainable uh, costs and, and revenues. And projections I see from, from wagering operators and others are that it is unlikely, you would imagine, to see those wagering numbers increase in the short term? Uh, yeah, certainly that's how the wagering operators are, are talking. Um, but but it, again, it's a function of what's happening in the consumer economy. So what, what you think is going to happen in the consumer economy, um, uh, you should uh, translate into wagering. So mm. if you think um, uh, interest rates are going to stay as they are for some time, that inflation is going to stay high for some time, then you've got to believe that wagering will be uh, flat or potentially um, a little bit negative. Um, if you think ep- economic conditions are, are going to improve, then you've got a, a cause to believe that um, that wagering may increase. But, you know, that's the biggest driver is how much money punters have in their pocket Um uh, to, to punt, and then the second biggest driver is is racing share versus and Victorian racing share versus um, other sports and and uh, forms of entertainment. Uh, as you said, this is not just happening in Melbourne and Victoria; it's happening all around Australia and over the world. What did you make of the of the bombshell announcement from Racing New South Wales and the state government of a potential sale of Rose Hill for five billion dollars last week? Look, I've got the same information everybody else has, which is what was in the in the press release. Um, and obviously, it's not really for me to comment on on uh, the ATC's business. But you know, I think there's a an adage in life: if you get an offer you can't refuse, then don't refuse it. I think. Do you think that's a, a, a realistic figure? Five billion dollars. You you know Sydney. You're from Sydney. Um, look, I think there's, if, if it's 25,000 dwellings, that's $200,000 a, a dwelling um, in, in land value. Can I believe that? Yeah, I can believe that if there are 25,000 dwellings. That's a lot of dwellings for a for a, um, even a site the size of mm. Rose Hill. But again, I don't have the information there. But if $5 billion's an accurate number, and that'll be over a you know, 10, 15-year period, I would have thought, then that's a very hard number to, to, to say no to. Um, and that part of Sydney, you know, there was traditionally factories between Parramatta and, and, and uh, Homebush, essentially. Um, all those factories are, are gone now, um, and that's on the south bank of the Parramatta River. It's ripe to be reopened for residential and parks and, and um, recreation, you know, connecting Sydney Olympic Park with Parramatta. Um, and uh, and so from a, a Sydney point of view, it definitely makes sense for the government to be sort of filling in that area with residential and, and parks. Uh, and, you know, if the if the number is irresistible, then, then obviously it's hard to resist. Is that the, the, the way of the future? Um, future-proofing the industry by the sale of, of huge parcels of land, which are now so valuable they're more valuable to sell rather than race on? Well, it's obviously a balance because you need race courses to, to race at um, and you need race courses that fans want to come to. So if you look at a place like Caulfield, it's right by a train station. Um, it's a fantastic um, place for fans to get to. It's in a densely populated part of Melbourne. You know, that's a, a venue you want to increase your investment in, which is exactly what the MRC is doing. Flemington's obviously um, a landmark in its own right, um, hosts the Melbourne Cup Carnival. Um, so again, that's a venue that uh, uh, you want to keep in the racing family forever, um, but you know it's a matter of degree. Um, uh, so uh, uh, obviously, Sandown's the big question in, in Melbourne. Um, Are you across 
closely with the MRC, what they're doing there and the figures, the reports that um, if it's not fully sold, they won't be able to fund um, everything they want to do with the new grandstand? Yeah, we're working closely with the MRC. It's obviously, first and foremost, their decision and their members' decision what they want to do. But, um, I mean, pretty obviously, uh, a, a partial redevelopment is worth a lot less than a full redevelopment. Um, so, um, you know, common sense tells you that. Um, uh, so... You know, but I think they're going through a process of looking at the numbers, um, and they're also going through a process of uh, rain or shine getting it rezoned, so they they have an understanding of what they're what they're playing with. But if you simplify that issue, um, they're creating a world class fan facing facilities at Caulfield with two tracks. Um, to do that, they need to spend four hundred million dollars. So they've got to work out where they're going to get four hundred million dollars at from. And if you're paying six percent interest, that's near enough to twenty five million dollars. A, a year in interest costs before you even pay a dollar of principal. So that's expensive money, um, and finding that kind of money is is not easy. And how how much value would it be for Racing Victoria if if it was sold? Obviously, um, revenue money is is the premium issue at the moment. Would there be a big windfall for Racing Victoria in a sale? Well, Racing Victoria's position has been very clear, and we have the an MOU with the MRC, so their position's clear too, which is. Um, any decision on Sandown needs to be in the best interest in the industry. So we're happy to keep it as it is. Um, uh, but if the MRC believes it's in the club's interests um, to um, uh, sell or redevelop Sandown to finance Caulfield, then um, you know we can live with that if the industry as a whole is better off. And so then you look at where you might uh, reinvest some of the proceeds, um, whether it be at Northwest Land or, or somewhere else t- from a racing point of view uh, and or a, a training point of view. Any word on or thoughts on what that parcel of land could be in the future? I know you've you've done some um, surveys and, and studies on it. Is there any decision closer? Uh, look, we've been three, clear throughout. It, it could be anything. It could be nothing. Uh, just sitting there uh, getting a little bit more valuable every day. Um, uh, or it could be anything up to an all singing, all dancing, racing and training mm. wonderland, um, you know, with potentially um, a racing academy, um, quarantine, etc. Um, and the difference between doing nothing and an all singing and all dancing facility is, is a couple of hundred million dollars. And so um, uh, if you can source the, the one or two hundred million dollars you need um, to redevelop it as a, as a, you know, horse headquarters, um, then fantastic. But if you can't, then obviously um, uh, uh, you let it be and, and manage the existing network. So there are some interdependencies there with Sandown. There are some interdependencies with some uh, other issues that are knocking around. And we're working uh, slowly but steadily with clubs to work out what the best uh, racing, training and fan-facing footprint for Melbourne is. Just speaking of um, the MRC and, and footprints of race tracks and courses. Um, Is Racing Victoria happy, MRC, happy to have uh, the Melbourne Football Club possibly have their training base and centre at at Caulfield? Well, it's really a matter for the MRC first and foremost, but from a Racing Victoria point of view, um, Caulfield is first and foremost a racetrack. Um, It's a a, a place for, uh, for horses and a place for racing fans. And secondly, it's a place for the community. Uh, So we'd love to see community sport, um, uh, being activated there in the in the middle, um, I, I'm not sure uh, what having a professional AFL club with um, 
uh, loads of dough and exclusive use of facilities is going to do for either racing or the, or the community. Um, I don't see it as racing's job to, to solve the uh, facilities challenges of professional AFL, AFL teams. Would there be any money in this for the MRC? Oh, well, they'd have to be, otherwise it would make absolutely yeah. no sense from a racing point of view. Um, all right, we'll stand by on that. couple of quick ones. Um, the other part of the um, Spring Carnival review, which was positive, was the, the country crowds. And look, country racing is the lifeblood. And I know there's been a lot of discussion about even more grassroots is the, the picnics. And we're losing a lot of meetings through um, tracks not being up to standard and wet weather. Is that something that's high on your agenda to, to, to look at from that point of view? Because we have so many tracks, picnics to country courses, is it just too difficult at the moment to ensure that we've got all of them at a, a standard we need to race on? Look, Victoria's got the best uh, tracks in Australia and it's got the uh, an amazing network of, of regional and community racing facilities. You know, Racing Victoria's um, official position hasn't changed and uh, remains that... You know, we want to keep all the racetracks we have in regional Victoria because uh, they're integral to the community. Picnic races are integral integral to the community. Country cups are integral to the community. They're the biggest sporting event in uh, in many country towns in in Victoria, and they underwrite our. Uh, license not just with the community but also with the government so one of the reasons that racing attracts so much government support is that we are everywhere in Victoria um, and and so uh, we don't want to change that um, uh, obviously we're going to have challenges from time to time with weather um, and uh, the balance of safety and um, and looking after clubs and fans you know we don't like to see meetings cancelled at the last minute we try to cancel them early if they're product meetings if they're cup meetings and you know uh, meetings with big crowds we we try and delay the call and sometimes um, you get caught out um, uh, cancelling a meeting just before it starts or, or even mid-meeting which is is not ideal but the reason that happens is because we are trying to get the races on if we can but obviously jockey safety Safety is uh, and horse safety is is the top priority. So if that's at risk, then do the picnics um, the need more, more help or infrastructure? Um, I, I don't think it's a, a excuse me a systemic issue. I think it's a a meeting by by meeting issue. Obviously, the the biggest issue that uh, community racing has faced in the last decade is COVID, rather than a, a bit of wet weather here and there. Uh, one off the SMS, uh, are we getting closer to the new wagering deal? Um, how's that looking? Uh, again, that's a government process, so the, the timing is a little bit unclear to us. We understand it's pretty close. Um, we'd love a decision before Christmas, um, but uh, whether that happens is uh, in the hands of, of the government and we'll, uh, we'll follow their lead. Uh, are we getting close? I know it's not your purview exactly but it's got a lot to do with you is it um getting are we getting closer to a racing victoria chairman being announced we haven't had that chair for quite some time since brian kruger vacated uh, look again that's a government process but i don't want listeners to be under the impression that racing victoria is rudderless we've got a very uh very very capable um acting chairman in mike hurst who's been on the board for a long time um he's been vice chairman for a long time uh, he's an outstanding operator got an excellent understanding of the industry from all angles and we've got a very capable management team with a clear view of what we need to do, do to grow the sport so choice of chairman is is a matter for the minister um but it's not something that that uh, we're thinking about day to day we're just pressing on
Uh, and there's been a lot of um, rumours, a lot of stories about the relationship with all the shareholders. Do we take it that from the meeting you had last Thursday or the week before that, uh, we're starting to get people coming together? Um, well, that's for the, 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 the members and participants to, to say for themselves. The, the challenge we've got is everybody wants more money mm. and, and revenue is declining. And so um, you know, when everybody, anybody's getting squeezed, they squeal. Um, and so we have to work together as a sport to, to um, grow revenue. Uh, which means attracting more fans and punters uh, by making our offer as fan and punter friendly as possible. Um, and it also means making sure that we're uh, optimising our cost base. And, um, and uh, you know, that's challenging. Uh, it's challenging for everybody because uh, nobody likes think- to have things taken away. So the measures that we've taken this year to- that have been controversial, for example, moving the 1,000 guineas, for example, adding a 10th race, um, have been designed explicitly to grow revenue. Um, so we have more money to go around um, uh, but even some of those initiatives that are growing revenue are controversial so when you get to things like cutting costs and obviously uh, people aren't going to be happy. Is that 10th race here to stay? Uh, we'll see. I mean, it's always been a, a 12-month trial. Um, if I were a betting man, which obviously we all are in racing, you'd say um, it's been a success so far. So you'd say you'd probably keep it for uh, at least the um, spring, summer and autumn, um, whether it makes sense in winter with uh, less daylight and, and um, less time for participants to get to and from tracks and so forth is is uh, probably debatable um, and whether the wagering returns justified in winter is also debatable. So I think uh, if you framed a market, you'd say a nine-month, three-month is probably mm. starts favourite, um, 12-month is second favourite and, and uh, reverting to nine races is is at long odds. Andrew, good to see you. Uh, good to see positive um, results from the spring carnival. Uh, obviously, turnover is an issue for everyone, but outside of that, crowds up, uh, ratings of races up as well. So um, a lot of positives to come out of the spring carnival. Appreciate your time. Uh, have a good Chrissy break, and we'll see you in 2024. Thanks, Michael. A pleasure. Andrew Jones, the boss of Racing Victoria.